Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Anytime I put the mic on and it's lit up, Norma's face lights up. She's like, it's my time to shine. It does not. It does. Really? You got this look on your face. Anyways, Uh, I'm Priscilla. And I'm Norma. And you're listening to It's It's a Mystery Mystery for Me. at it again with the back at it again we won't keep y'all too long with the chit chat but i did watch a show that i feel like y'all would really appreciate sadly it's only one season and it's only four Four episodes episodes. so you're going to be very upset when it's over and the show has been canceled spoiler alert so it doesn't look like there'll be a season two but let me just tell y'all the name of the show is called last chance lawyer I found it on Discovery Plus. I'm sure it's on Amazon and stuff. You might have to buy it. But y'all, this show is funny. How funny is it? I mean, the dude, okay, it's about a lawyer who's a defense attorney in New York City. So you do get to see real true crime cases basically playing out in the court system. And he, as a defense attorney, takes on, I mean, the worst of the worst. Think of like, one of the stories we told and one of the defendants that had y'all punch in the air. Yeah, he represents people like that. And he is just a character. He's a short dude. I don't know if he's Italian or Jewish. I think he's Jewish. Yes, he's okay. So he's Jewish. Um, he curses. Every other word is F this, F that. I mean, even if he's talking to opposing counsel, it's insane, but it's so funny. I don't know what it is about it, but it's like his personality is just hilarious. Um, What really got me, though, was when he said that he hated his fourth grade teacher. Quote, he said she's a fucking bitch because she made him play the fucking recorder. And I'm sorry, I literally died (laughs) laughing. And at that moment, I texted Norma and I was like, you have to watch the show. What episode was that? Because that was not episode one. I think it's episode two. Okay. (laughs) But there is one episode that I found to be the most interesting episode But I could not find anything online as to how it ends. So just, you know, I'm going to try and check the court system because that's Mm. another way to do it. But like a simple Google search, when you search the person's name, nothing. Like the initial articles come up about like this person's arrest and stuff like that. But you don't know how the case is resolved. And I was so frustrated. But anyways, the show's Last Chance Lawyer. If you want a little bit of a laugh and to hear more true crime cases, you should check it out. And also, I'm definitely not being paid to say that. Me and Norma don't get paid for none of this, y'all. Yeah, We do this for the free. <laughs> and it's okay, because you know what? Y'all are riding with us, so it's okay. And I guess we have day jobs, so we all write for now. If you hear a HelloFresh commercial in our podcast in the future, just know we getting paid now. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right now, we ain't getting paid. But okay. Um, and there's Momo. 
And I know people are talking about the slap heard around the world. I know it's not true crime related. Just fast forward five minutes so you really just like can't take it anymore. But basically, I mean, what do you think about the slap, Norma? Do you think it was warranted? Um, I don't think it was warranted. And honestly, when I, I was randomly on Instagram and I saw the video last night and I thought it was a joke. Right. Like at first I was like, wow, this is like definitely staged right (laughs) no i thought so too that was my first reaction but then when will started cursing and i saw like his facial expression i was like oh and so i just kept re-watching the video like five times for me it was watching lupita in the background lupita's face just towed it all (laughs) she was just like what in the hell is happening when I first saw it, I was like, woo, child the ghetto. But not. <laughs> it's just a common meme, common saying. If you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? If you, if know, you know, you, you know. know. You know the vibes. I understand. Okay, so Jada has alopecia. I have alopecia too. If you follow me on my like personal TikTok, you know this. And okay, and so I can get why she was upset by it. Like certain mm-hmm. things like people might say to me or not even to me. Like I might come across a video where... People are just so focused on hair and it might hurt my feelings. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just sensitive. Did you just slap your Oscar award out of your own hand by doing this? Because I feel like they're going to launch a whole investigation into this. I actually think they did or they they announced that they are. LAPD. Well, not even LAPD. LAPD already, like, Chris refused to press charges. Yeah. Yeah. But the actual Academy Academy. Awards has launched an investigation. And they said that they're going to be referring to their bylaws, whatever that means. Well, I know what that means, but basically their own rules that they Mm -hmm. set. Think of it as like an employee handbook. They're going to refer to that. And I just feel like Will could possibly lose his Oscar. He could have handled it differently. He could have told a joke that like hit just as low as Chris. He could have gone up there and said, you know what? I'm taking over hosting the show. You know what I'm saying? He could have mm-hmm. done so much different things that would have made it kind of funny and made it more so like I'm still standing up for my woman and my whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm still standing up for my wife. He just could have done it a different way. And I think by doing that, he chose violence. He woke up and chose violence. And listen, that slap was hard. And Chris Chris Rock's jaw is strong because, I mean, that should have sent him to the ground. But he still held on. The fact that he was able to continue to yes. speak after that. He continued to speak. He stayed, like, in character. Yeah. But he also probably knew, like, one black person while and out is enough for these people. <laughs> they it set everybody into a frenzy. If yes. two black people start acting out, if I act out too... They're not going to know how to act because then all the other black people going to get involved. And now it's going to really get crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson was basically bigging up Will for slapping the shit out of Chris. Someone said that Chris could have just, after he got slapped, could have said, like, if you're this angry in March, I wonder what happens in August. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that would have been funny. That would have been funny. For people who don't know, Jada was having some sort of entanglement with someone named August Alsina. Um, and apparently Will knew about it. What, to what extent? I don't know. But there's a whole there's a whole um, red table talk on this situation. So y'all can check that out. 
that's going to stick with the, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? They're going to be like, we can't take these people anywhere. And maybe you can't, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it is what it is. So what do you guys think about it? DM us or whatever, tweet us. There should be a link in the show notes um, just linking you guys to our social media stuff. That way it's just easier if you really do want to talk to us or whatever. Thanks for continuing to review our show. We really do appreciate it. Someone wrote, phew, y'all talk a lot and left four stars. And if that person's listening to this episode, they're going to really be annoyed. They just wrote, that's what they wrote. And then they wrote, enjoy your podcast, smiley faces. I listen every day at work. <laughs> at this point, I think it's the same person making these types of comments. No, I got it. I don't know. Maybe it's different people. From different accounts. But thank you guys so much for the reviews. We do read it. We laugh. We smile. We don't cry because we're thugs. So Never that. Yeah, whenever we see some, we'd be like, whatever. We want to keep pushing and making improvements or whatever. Aries gang right here. Yeah, enormous Aries. I don't cry. I'm a Capricorn. So, you know. You're emotional. I cry sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we have anything else we need to tell people before we dive into the case. So let me just talk to you all about the sources. For this episode, I watched an episode of Evil Lives Here, Shadows of Death. It's a show from Investigation Discovery, and the episode is season two, episode six. But if I don't say the episode for some reason on the show, just know in the show notes, I do say the episode. So just click on it and check it out there, and you'll have all the information. The rest of the information I got mostly from an appeal that was filed by the person responsible for the crimes I'm going to talk about today. For more of today's sources, go ahead and check out our website. It's themysteryforme.com or just click the link in the show notes. Much easier. Today's case is going to take us all the way to Dallas, Texas. Yeehaw. You cannot say that. Really? (laughs) Not the yeehaw. Isn't that cowboy? Aren't there cowboys in Texas? That's not racist saying yeehaw. I, I didn't say it was racist. Oh, okay. Is it politically incorrect to say that? I, I wouldn't say that either. It's just like... Um, what the hell, Norma? Then I'm going to say it. Damn. I can't think of the word. Okay, I don't have time. It's for like that. a stereotype. That's what I meant. Oh. Is it a stereotype? I think so. I didn't say redneck. Well, Sam, now you're really just... <laughs> I big. said hee-haw. Okay. Okay, whatever. Keep it in. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Take this out. All right, anyways. Yes, it takes us back to Dallas, Texas. And the events surrounding this tragedy occur in 2009. This is the story of LaVita Armstead and her three children, Jasmine, Jarrett, and JT. Just as a trigger warning, there is violence involved against children. So let's talk about LaVita. Um, LaVita was born on August 12th of 1976. On the episode of Evil Lives Here, her son JT speaks about her in the most positive light, of course. I mean, we never hear anyone say anything negative about people, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's always positive for the most part. Levita had a larger-than-life personality. She was a teacher, and by age 27, she was a single mom of three kids. And it kind of reminded me of mom because mom had three kids, I think, by 27, didn't she? Did she I have can't us three? Remember, or like 28. All of that to say, it can't be easy to have 
three kids on your own, but she was doing the best that she could do. So let's talk about her three kids. JT was the oldest, um, and in 2009, he was 12 years old. Jarrett is the second oldest, and in 2009, he was nine years old. And Jasmine was a baby of the family, and in 2009, she was six years old. They were all very close growing up, and I thought it was interesting that each of them kind of had different personality traits, and that reminds me kind of of like, that reminds me of any family. The siblings, you know, you might be super close, but everyone is so different. It's actually so interesting to see, right? Because you could have one sibling that is super conservative, like Norma, and then you have on. one sibling that's like off the wall, like me. So, <laughs> but really, like, I think it's interesting when you sit a family down and you get to know them and you realize like, wait, y'all are really related. I know y'all look alike, but y'all are so different. It's really interesting. So they were no different than us in that sense. JT was known as being super confident growing up. And he says that his mom is the reason that he had such confidence. And I thought that was really cool. It's amazing when you have parents uplifting you, right? Mm -hmm. That's always a bonus. And then Jarrett, he was the second oldest. He was just known as the kid that was very out there and very expressive about things. Jasmine, like I said, was the baby at six years old and she was just very joyful and they showed video footage of her speaking and stuff like that. And she was just like, I don't know. It was just so cute to see. Like, just imagine a six year old just talking about things and you know how sometimes they don't make sense, but it's Mm -hmm. so cute. That was (laughs) that was the vibes. I was like, you're adorable, Jasmine. So LaVita was definitely a Texas native, specifically Dallas, Texas. So she definitely raised all three of her kids there as well. And in 2008, she introduced her boyfriend, Gary Green, to her kids. And the relationship moved pretty fast. When I say fast, I mean, he moved in pretty quickly. And then before you knew it, they were married. And the show does not give details about the exact dates and neither does the court papers that I saw. Mm. But you can imagine that it was a very short span of months. How because they these meet? events, let's see if I have the answer for that. But these events that I'm going to speak about, it occurs in September of 2009. So just to give you some idea of the timeline. Now, how did they meet? That actually never came up, not even in the court documents. I know that Gary was working at some point at Walmart and then for a florist, but what became very apparent, especially in the court documents, is that he was someone that could not hold a job longer than a year. He would just up and quit. Like, it just was not in him. The adulting was not in him. Like, relatable Mm. to a certain extent, but I promise I'm going to be the only relatable point on this Negro during this story. Watching this, I did wonder, what did she see in Gary? And Gary was tall, 6'3", weighed 275 pounds. He was decent looking. You know, that's all I'm going to say. You take that as you want. But like y'all know, (laughs) y'all can click on the show notes and, and the link specifically and look at pictures for yourself or just Google Gary Green. Actually, don't Google yet because I want to tell you the story before Google tells y'all. In 2009, Gary was around 37, 38 years old. 
And in 2009, LaVita was 32 years old. Now, Gary had a pretty interesting way of parenting with the kids. Um, for lack of a better word, he sucked at parenting. Um, he instilled fear in the kids. He would beat them. JT was very explicit with it in the TV show, just saying, you know, that Gary would hit them with a belt, with whatever, and he didn't care where he hit you at. Like, if he hit you in the eye, okay, cool. He didn't care. He was just going to hit you. And just imagine, like, he did this with all the kids. The six-year-old, Jasmine, Jarrett, who's nine, and JT, who is 12. And if he was abusive with the kids, you can imagine, you can already imagine how abusive he was with LaVita, their mom. JT said that his mom appeared fearful and that as time went on, she just became more scared of Gary. And he said that the violence also kind of escalated as time went on. Like he knew it was serious when his mom came home one day and she had a cast on. And she wouldn't say like why or how, you know, what happened. But Mm -hmm. listen, kids really be understanding things. I know parents feel like, nah, I can pull this one over my kid. No, kids can pick up on things like that. Whether Mm -hmm. it's happening in their face or not, right? They can read emotions really well. So he knew, like, mom and Gary, things are not going well. And the neighbor knew that, too. The neighbor, her name is Latasha Bradfield. And she met the family. And I thought this was so cliche and funny because I never hear this happening with black families. JT went over to ask for some sugar, and that's how they met. I always yeah. hear that, like, but I always heard that in different narratives, like white narratives, like you borrow sugar from your neighbor. Well, this know. is also in the South, right? This is Texas. Yeah, this is Texas. So it's a completely different Well, I don't know why. I was just like, oh, that is kind of cool. So yeah, she, they went over there to borrow some sugar. And then Latasha was saying how like Jarrett and JT were like arguing over who was going to marry her daughter. She had a younger daughter (laughs) and they started fighting about it. And then Jasmine was like, she don't want none of y'all. Like she was just the cutest little thing. Like she just was, y'all need to fight over there because she don't like y'all. So whatever. So adorable, honestly. Just the personality, all of it. So the neighbor said that she would hear Gary constantly yelling, okay? Just at the top of his lungs at LaVita and all the kids. She made that very apparent on the show. She's like, listen, I heard him yelling to the six-year-old, the nine-year-old, the 12, everybody was getting it. Latasha herself had been in a domestic violence relationship. So she kind of was like putting herself in LaVita's shoes and was probably saying, you know, LaVita probably thinks that he's going to change, right? And she didn't get involved because she was just like, you know, maybe it's not my place type of thing which I think is like a reaction that a lot of people have where they feel like maybe it's not my business. Maybe I shouldn't say anything because the person hasn't come to me asking for help. But if you see the signs, trust me, sometimes it's better to say something. Even if it's not to that person, you Mm -hmm. can anonymously report stuff. Yeah. You can, you know, you could go about it a different way. And I, I think she understands that now. And this is definitely nothing against her because I think when you're in the moment, it's a lot different, right? Versus when you're out of it, you know what I'm saying? So take that into account too. So I'm going to fast forward to the day of these horrific events and it would have been September 21st, 2009. So on that day, Jarrett and JT 
are at Bible study. And Gary comes by to pick them up and he brings them home. And this was kind of his routine that he did. What I thought was interesting is the show left out this part. The part I just said that he had picked them up from Bible study and brought them home. And is it like a crucial part of the story? I think it is a crucial part of the story. Because then they get home and this like... The show changes a lot of the details, so it's kind of, like, annoying. But when they get home, according to the court documents, Gary tells them that their mom is out clubbing and their sister is at their grandma's house. But he says that their mom does not want him to take them both to the grandma's house to meet the sister. So instead, he just tells them to take a shower. So JT is like, all right, I'm gonna take a shower. So he's showering. When he's in the shower, he hears his younger brother screaming like, he's gonna kill me. So he's like trying to hop out the shower. And that's when Gary comes in the bathroom holding his brother by like the neck and holding a knife. And basically Gary's like, tell me why I shouldn't kill y'all right now. And they were both just like, what? And JT is like in full panic mode. He's like, what the hell? He like totally freezes up. And so Jared answers a question. He starts to answer like, you shouldn't kill us because we're young. And as soon as he started talking, Gary was like upset that he started talking and stabbed him in the stomach. Now there's a pool of blood coming from Jared's stomach. And JT gets up and he pushes Gary. But he's like, for him to even push Gary, I was like, wow, you are brave because this man has a knife in his hand. He says that like, He says that Gary had this look on his face, this look in his eyes, like just this blank stare. So it's like the whole situation was already crazy and they didn't know what the hell was happening at this point. He still didn't know why, like, okay, his brother was screaming, you know, Gary's trying to kill me, but he really was just like, it was all very confusing. Mm -hmm. Basically what happens is that I'm shocked, but Jarrett keeps talking and he keeps talking to Gary and tries to calm him down. He gets him to calm down. He's just saying, you know, I'm a, we're kids. We're so young. We won't tell anybody. We know you're a good person. Like, just let us go. Everything's going to be okay. And Gary starts to come around and he's like, okay, but I want to show y'all something. So what does he do? He brings them out of the bathroom and he brings them, them into the master bedroom. When they get into the master bedroom, they see their mom on the floor. A completely bloody, crazy scene, y'all, okay? She's on the floor. JT describes her as being a different color, like she was almost purple. And he dropped to his knees and he was just crying. Like, mom, please wake up. You know, that kind of crying. Mm-hmm. Okay, we had to pause for a second because Momo was acting up and we had to get him. But <clears throat> I was just saying that, you know, they go into the bedroom and JT and Jarrett sees the mom and JT is the one. JT is like really freaked out at this point. Mm-hmm. I think Jarrett, what we learn later on is Jarrett was kind of just trying to process everything. He didn't really, he was just confused. Like what is happening? What am I seeing? Mm-hmm. Okay. So at that point, JT is just like freaking out. So from the corner of his eye and like where he's sitting, he can see into the master bathroom. And when he looks, he sees his little sister tied up and not moving. Her legs had been bound by a cord, but also by duct tape. And her arms were bound behind her back. And she wasn't moving. She was lying still like 
He started freaking out. He went over to her. He's trying to wake her up. She's not waking up. Again, JT is kind of, JT is understanding what's happening. He's like, my mom is dead. I think my sister's dead. Mm-hmm. There's blood everywhere. The guy, you know, Gary's holding a knife. One plus one is two. He did it. And we could die right now. Mm-hmm. We might die. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Gary does something that I found truly shocking. He hands them their mom's phone, cell phone, and says, call the police when I leave. And they're just like, oh, okay. And he's like, and you know how I always say this isn't goodbye? Well, this is goodbye. And then apparently he forces them to hug him. And that's according to the appeal docs. But can you imagine the trauma of that? Like, you're forcing me to hug you. I know you killed my mom and possibly killed my sister. This is a lot. Mm-hmm. Ooh, child. So he leaves. He takes her car, by the way. And they go next door to the neighbor's house. And they knock on the door. And they're on the phone with 911 already. Jarrett has called. So that's the thing. Jarrett is kind of like, he's kind of confused, but he also is the one also like speaking up in all of this in the sense that like, he's talking Gary down. He's now making the 911 call. You know what I'm saying? JT's mm-hmm. understanding what's happening, but he's, you know, he's frozen in the situation. He's in shock. He's yeah. in shock. So Jarrett is, Jarrett is like the one saying, okay, like, let's go, let's go. They're on the phone with 911. They hand it over to the neighbor. The neighbor's like confused because they are not telling her what's happening. Like they just came over like banging on the door and it scared her. And she was just like, what happened? And they're like, they were just like, gave her the phone. And 911 operator basically told her like, yeah, like, you know, they said that their mom was attacked and their sister might like that their mom and sister might be dead. And she's like, what? And then she goes over to the apartment to see. And she's calling like LaVita's name. And then she sees LaVita and she makes a beeline for the door after that. She saw her. She's like, oh, my God. She's on the floor. She left. She's like, oh, my God. I don't know if he's still in here. And you almost hear her having like a whole panic attack. Like, imagine how you would feel. You're in a home. You see something. And now you're thinking, is the person still in here? Mm -hmm. She was like out of there. I can't even imagine that kind of trauma of seeing someone that you know and you love. Like, she was really close with LaVita. They had gotten pretty close over, like, a short period of time. So just to see her on the floor like that, right, Mm -hmm. was shocking. And imagine her kids seeing her like that. The detectives arrive, and they don't notice anything out of place when they first walk in. They, They make the comment on the show that things just look pretty in place. Nothing's out of order. But it's when they get to the master bedroom that... It's just pure chaos. There's blood everywhere. The detective says, like, he's never seen that much blood. I mean, not only is it on the carpet of the master bedroom, like, all around, like, Levita, but it's also in the bathroom. Like, it even looks like there's a picture that they show on the show, and it looks like the top of the toilet, you know, the heavy part, it's, mm-hmm. like, cracked on the floor. There's blood all over that, too. The whole floor is just smeared in blood. I'd never seen that much blood in, like, you know, on the shows that I've watched, at least. Like, I don't know. Wow. It was a lot. It was a lot. So they check out LaVita. Unfortunately, she is dead. And they notice, you know, clear as day, she has been stabbed. And that she has suffered from quite a number of stab wounds. Probably around 
25 to 30, but we'll get a confirmation when I tell you guys the coroner's report. But when they go in the bathroom, they find little Jasmine who is still, right? Like she's just laying there. You know, I'm sure they touched her neck or something. They realized that she was gone, but they could not figure out how. Like her injuries were just not obvious. There was no stab wounds. There was nothing like that. So they were really rattled. They were just like, what the hell happened here? Mm. As they look into the crime scene a little bit more, they discover handwritten letters, one from LaVita and one from Gary. LaVita's letter was more so of, hey, this isn't working out. We need to end this. This is not healthy. I want a divorce or an annulment because it hadn't been that long. His response was five people are going to die today. Five meaning LaVita, her three kids and him. That's what he wrote in response. Now, I, and of course the letter was a lot longer than that, but I didn't see, you know, I couldn't really see too much. Mm. And I don't know if like she just handed him this letter. I mean, they live together, so I'm sure she gave it to him. He read it. And I'm wondering if he gave her the letter he wrote, but I think he might have. If anything, he left it out for the cops to find. I mean, clear as day, it was in his handwriting and hers was in her handwriting. So people were able to attest to that. But the point of all of this is he wanted to kill the entire family and then kill himself. Right. And Mm -hmm. it shows premeditation. Okay. And in a state like Texas, you know, they got the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So he basically sealed his fate with that one. So the coroners confirm in the appeal document that LaVita was stabbed 30 times. The appeal document also goes on to say that she was able to stab Gary somewhere in the shoulder twice, but it didn't make much of an impact. I mean, again, he was 6'3", 275 pounds. I don't know how tall she is. I feel like she stood no chance. He definitely overpowered her. Yes. Yeah. And Jasmine, unfortunately, well, you know what? Let me tell you what he said in the police interview, and that'll tell you what happened to Jasmine. The next day, I mean, they set out a whole, like, manhunt for him. They were convinced he was going to kill himself and all this stuff. But his family actually convinced him to turn himself in. So he did. And so there's a whole interview tape and everything. They read him his Miranda rights, of course, and he waived them, of course. And he just starts to spill his guts. Here's one thing he says. Okay, he says, normally the man is in control. But LaVita was trying to control me. It's like, what? She was just trying to have a family unit going on. She just wanted peace and happiness. She didn't want to be in a cast every other week. Okay, that's what you wanted for her. But I digress for now. Let me keep going with everything else. He said that, okay, he became upset when he saw the letter stating that she wanted to leave. Like, this was his breaking point. He doesn't say when he wrote his response letter again and, like, when he gave it to her, but that's what he says in the interview. And also, remember, they they chop up the interview a lot for these shows, so it's like, sadly, I don't get to see the whole thing, so, boo. But just use your imagination. If he's already singing like a canary, he, he, he done told everything. He told on himself, which I'm like, good. 
because you should be punished for this. And we will get to the punishment in a second. So then he talks about Jasmine. And he says that when he read the letter from Levita, that his response was to grab Jasmine, to duct tape her hands behind her back and duct tape her feet in front of her and with the cord, and then carry her like that so that Levita could see, like, look what I could do with your daughter. Like, look what I could do to her. I already have her bounded. Like, you really want to play with me? That type of thing. It was a power move, basically. That's very, that's sick. That's so disgusting. I'm just wondering, like, at what point was he able to do this? How did she not notice? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like He probably made, I mean, this type of person probably made it seem like everything was fine. I'm going to go play with Jasmine. I'll be right back. Like, I understand what you're saying in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, how did she not know that her that she was in danger at this point in time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think she realized it until it was too late. I mean, he's already in the room holding her daughter. And I feel like at that point, I'm sure she was pleading with him. I'm sure she was telling him, like, please, I love you and all these things. But when that person gets to that point of no return, there's no coming back. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised Jarrett could bring him back. He seemed like he had his mind made up. So this next part I found to be very disturbing. He puts Jasmine on the bed and proceeds to attack Levita in front of Jasmine, stabbing her repeatedly, stabbing Levita repeatedly. Can you imagine a six-year-old child? Be- She's bound, okay? She cannot get up and run. Mm-hmm. She's watching him kill her mother in front of her. The type of trauma, the type of fear of, like that went through her mind, thinking, I'm probably next. I don't even know what that would feel like. It just seems so scary, though. Mm-hmm. And it's so sick that he would put her through something like that. This is something that I also found astonishing that they put in the appeal documents. He has like four kids. And some of them are right. And one of them apparently was around Jasmine's age, was a little girl. So you were able to do this to someone else's child. But what if they did that to your child? So you really gave zero, you know what, like... You really didn't care. All you cared about was hurting Levita. And his revenge was wanting to see Levita fighting for her daughter, but knowing that it was going to be a losing battle. That's what did it for him. Now that's weird. That's some weirdo behavior. So he stabs Levita, like the coroner says, 30 times. Not It wasn't one stab wound that killed her. The coroner says it was a combination of the stab wounds that killed her. They also said in the appeal document that there might have been some sort of strangulation as well, okay? So at this point, Levita is now laying lifeless on the floor. He then picks up Jasmine. He brings her in the bathroom, fills a tub, and proceeds to drown her. Takes this tiny body, this tiny person, and proceeds to put her head in the water as she kicks, as the bubbles are coming up. He could stop at any second. He chooses not to. What I found especially disturbing is that in his interview with cops, he said, I've I've never seen anything like this. Like, I've only seen it on TV. I was so disturbed by my behavior that I had to look away. You had to look away. You were doing it. (sighs) Like, 
see the marbles are loose in your head because you were the one inflicting this on her. You had a choice and you made your choice. And the coroner said it would have taken a few minutes for her to drown. And that's why when the cops went into the bathroom, they couldn't see anything because she just looked regular. They didn't mm-hmm. see any like wounds on her. So to hear this, yo, the detective was just choking up talking about this. This has to be his one case. Every detective has a case that gets to them, that keeps them up at night. It has to be this detective's case. Just the way like his eyes were welling up. I mean, it was hard for him to talk about it because he's like, she's a six year old. She did nothing to you. Mm-hmm. If anything, kids be loving people regardless of things, right? They like want to just love you. So the fact that you did this to a child, like you are a scumbag. The detective also said, quote, where were the angels for her that day, end quote. And I was like, wow, that, that's deep. Because I think when bad things happen, you always wonder why. And especially when it happens to younger people and mm-hmm. definitely when it happens to children. Where were the angels that day? I would like to think that once she crossed over, she was at peace. You know what I'm saying? Like, But you can only imagine the horror that was going through her mind as he was drowning her. Okay? Like... Have y'all ever drowned in the pool? Like I've drowned, like I've almost drowned, but I couldn't imagine a person trying to drown me, a person who's supposed to be protecting me, supposed to be a father figure to me. Mm -hmm. And you, I'm going to die at your hands? So now let's talk about the trial because there is a trial and you might be wondering why? Why is there a trial? Why didn't he just take a plea deal? I feel like for some type of people like him, people who have issues, it's like they need the attention. Cause that's the only reason you would take a plea, like you wouldn't take a plea deal, right? And you'd wanna go to trial. If you go to trial, the kids have to testify against you. They have to relive the trauma. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times people will just take plea deals because they'll just be like, forget it. You know what? I don't wanna put the family through anything else. Well, not him, not this fool. He said, bring it on. So even though they had you on candid camera with the confession, And there was no reason for it to be suppressed, right? It wasn't thrown out. Like, this actually went into evidence. And they had the testimony of your stepkids. You still wanted to go to trial. It just don't make sense to me. What was the... Do you know what the plea deal was? No, I don't know anything about the plea deal. And as a matter of fact, I can't say for certain that he was offered a Mm. plea deal. However, I feel like he probably would have been offered a plea deal. Well, by him not taking it also, I mean, that put the death penalty on the table. And I could be wrong. And the prosecutors might have just said, you know what? We're not going to give him a plea deal because we want him to get the death penalty. We want to try for that. Mm -hmm. So it could also be that. But just thinking out loud, I suppose. So in October 2010, the trial begins and new things come out about his past. Okay. Like past girlfriends and the fact that he had strangled and stabbed past girlfriends he had gone to prison yes yes there were even photos of one girlfriend in particular who he had strangled with a cord and you could see the marks like the dark marks on her neck this man was a monster a monster and that's what the episode title is by the way monster so they don't think levita knew about it at all 
And I, I do believe that because I think that these type of crazy people are really good at hiding stuff like this and put it, sweeping it under the rug and making you think like, you know what? They just love bomb you, love bomb you, love bomb you until like, you know, the, your glasses are so foggy, you can't see anything else, right? Until mm-hmm. it's too late. And I'm sure in the moment she was thinking, you know, it's too late. Now it's too late. And that probably, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like. Just painful. So at the end, yes, the jury found him guilty of capital murder, which means that the death penalty is on the table. Now, this case did give me more information on the death penalty, and in particular, the death penalty phase. So I do want to talk to y'all about that a little bit. Whenever the death penalty is on the table for an offense, what will happen is that they'll go through the regular trial, right? And the person will say guilty or not guilty. And then basically it's like a second trial, but this is called the death penalty phase. It's different from the trial because during the trial, you're trying to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this person is guilty of murder, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the prosecution is trying to prove. During the death penalty phase of the case, Now the prosecution is trying to prove this person deserves to die. So defense counsel can also show mitigating circumstances that would make someone think twice about giving someone the death penalty. So basically, the defense tries to make you feel bad for the person. They're going to tell you sob stories. They're going to get people in the defendant's life to testify about how this person was a good person or how they experienced trauma as a kid. And that's why this happened the way it did. And that's exactly what happened during this death penalty phase. Okay. Mm. So let me tell you a little bit of what his family said about him. His aunt testified that mental health issues ran in the family and that his father was abusive towards his mother. But his mom did end up getting, like, remarried and stuff. And, like, his dad wasn't really in his life. Like, I wouldn't say he was in his life beyond, like, four years old. So, I don't know. What I found interesting was one of his uncles had killed his wife and then committed suicide after. So there was a murder-suicide in the family already. And the appellate document also said that there were a few other homicides. But they didn't specify what those were, you know, who was involved, etc. Interestingly enough, his ex, Linnell Williams, testified on his behalf in a positive way. Okay, she did say, you know, he had some psych issues, like he would talk to himself sometimes. He said vampires were real, etc., whatever. But she didn't mention anything about like having issues with him when it came to violence. She just said, you know, she would never think that he would do something like this. Um, whenever he had issues with LaVita, he would call her. Sometimes he would stay with her. They had lived together for two years. She has kids that are not his and he was great with them, etc. Now, when I read it, honestly, what I thought was, hmm, it wouldn't be the first time that someone gets on the stand and defends their abuser. It wouldn't be the first time. I'm Mm -hmm. being honest. Like Mm -hmm. this man had a damn pattern. Okay, take her testimony with a grain of salt. His mom also testified and said that he tried to jump off of his school's building when he was in middle school and his aunt had to talk him down. Are there school reports on that? I'm just curious. Honestly, okay, someone like someone does look into his academic records and stuff like 
about IEPs and stuff like that, yeah. you know, individualized, like, lesson plans and stuff. But they didn't find too much of a history for him. And they didn't say why. It might be because, like, you know, it happened a long time ago mm-hmm. and schools might have destroyed records. Yeah. You know, there was just different record-keeping stuff going on. But um, he dropped out of school when he was in 11th grade. Um, apparently his father died in prison, but it doesn't say, like, why he was in prison or how he died. Remember I said he had, like, a daughter who was around the same age. At the time of trial, she was apparently also having issues, getting in trouble at school a lot. Like, kind of exhibiting a lot of the behaviors he had been exhibiting as a kid. Mm. So they also brought that up. Now, this part, I was like, why didn't they mention this on the show? Because I felt like this was pretty compelling. He checked himself into a psych facility just a few days before the murders happened. And he was there for five days. Oh. Yes. And he had told his brother that he was hearing voices that, like, demons were talking to him. All this shit. Oh. Yeah. So I was like, why didn't y'all mention that on the show? That would have been interesting to know. Yeah. Apparently, that's what happened. And that, like, when he was done, after the five days that LaVita had picked him up after he had done his little psych stint. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot there. And uh, and I feel like from LaVita's position, she probably felt like, let me help him. He's getting help, you know? Mm-hmm. I know she probably flipped it in that way because, again, you try to paint your abuser in, like, the best light. And you try to hold them to a different standard and say, you know what? They're going to change tomorrow. They're not going to do this again. Like, look, he's getting help. He's really trying. Like, mm-hmm. you know? That kind of thing. But maybe he had done something after the fact because then she wrote the letter, right? And she gave him the letter saying, I don't want to be with you. So she might have even had her mind made up after he got out the psych ward. We really don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you what the grandma said about him. Because, listen, everybody had gotten up. He had a few people testifying. His grandma said she witnessed him as a kid bite off the head of a snake. And she didn't tell anybody about it. He told her, please don't tell my mom. I'm like, wait, I'm sorry. You forgot to mention it to his mom that he bit off the head of a snake. I mean, that nigga might have rabies. What the hell? What the hell is going on? That is definitely not okay. Not okay. And honestly, if y'all watch serial killer documentaries like I do, you know. That points to that. It starts with harming animals. Mm -hmm. A lot of people start with harming animals before they actually kill somebody. Mm -hmm. His brother testified that the defendant, meaning Gary, was never really close with their stepfather and that the stepfather that came into their life was amazing, apparently. And so his his brother was close to him, but he Mm -hmm. noticed that Gary just never could build that connection. And he said he was also worried about Gary when Gary decided to father four kids with three different women in an 18-month period. What the hell? Yes. He was really for the streets, baby. Four kids. Four kids. Three different moms. 18 months. So maybe were two of them twins? I don't know. Or were they Irish twins? You know how you just get knocked up again? Oh, yeah, you're right. Huh. Wow. Of course, a psychiatrist testified and the psychiatrist definitely had a lot to say. Let me see. I'm just curious why, why or was this ever brought up during the actual trial? about like mental health issues. I mean, what you mean like to get like an insanity defense or yeah, something going? Yeah. 
because the insanity defense I know, is so, so tough. tough. Yeah, and because he wrote those letters, that showed his state of mind. When you're in a plea to insanity, first of all, there's four different tests. It depends on where you are, what jurisdiction you're in. But basically, the commonality is that you have to show that you were not aware of what you were doing when you did it, basically. This nigga wrote a whole damn letter. If he didn't write the letter, yeah, you think, like... I think if he didn't write the letter, you never know. Because then we different. have people coming forward and saying, you know, like, listen, he had some issues. Like, for example, a psychiatrist came forward who had, like, looked at his mental records and stuff, mental health records... Now, I don't know if they include his school records. It seems like they kind of lost some of those. Mm-hmm. But basically, they said that he suffered from severe depression, sadness, um, affective instability, anxiety, agitation, paranoid delusions. And they also went on to say that he was showing, like, basically tendencies that were along the lines of, like, personality disorders. They also pointed out that his time in that psych facility where he was there for five days, that he was mm-hmm. being watched because of like suicidal ideation and and things like that that he had trouble sleeping and i'm i'm not even kidding i just read here i know we were just on the topic of animals but apparently he told the psychiatrist that as a kid he set fire to a dog and no they don't give you details about what happened to the dog i know y'all are probably like what happened to the dog though norma's just like Hi. tired norma's mm-hmm. like this is too much In the end, they did decide to give him the death penalty. And yes, the entire jury agreed on it. Because that was something else we were discussing last week, right? Unanimous jury verdicts. Mm -hmm. In a case that I mentioned in last week's episode, which was called Ramos versus Louisiana, the Supreme Court of the United States held that for convictions of serious crimes, state court jury verdicts must be unanimous. This was tried in state court. Okay, and there's no problem here with unanimous verdict. They all, they said, listen, all of us, I, all of us say this nigga gotta go. That's what they said. There was no question about it. But I was still curious because I was like, okay, like last week we kind of talked about this, but the Supreme Court has never really explicitly said the death penalty needs to be unanimous, the death penalty phase. Like, they've said serious crimes, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But they haven't specified. And why I'm saying that is because I noticed that in Florida, Florida has recently decided that they don't care if the death penalty phase is unanimous or not. And so, like, that clearly contradicts the Supreme Court ruling, and I haven't seen any updates from Florida since then. So the Florida thing, they were saying this in 2020, then the 2021 Supreme Mm -hmm. Court ruling came down, and I haven't seen Florida fixing this. Mm -hmm. So it's probably going to go up to the Supreme Court again for the Supreme Court to be more specific and say, like, listen, when we said serious cases or serious offenses... And jury verdicts for those, we meant the death penalty too. But like, I don't know. Again, with lawyers, lawyers be playing with the words, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, being a lawyer is all about being able to, I don't know, make things flexible that don't seem flexible, you know what I'm saying? So if I had a law school exam and the exam question said, listen, this Supreme Court ruling from Ramos versus Louisiana like, does it apply to the death penalty? I could argue that it doesn't apply to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. 
right? Because yeah. I'll, I'll say, listen, in other Supreme Court cases, when they talk about the death penalty, they've done so explicitly. And let me name the cases where they've done that. You know what I'm saying? But I could also argue, listen, I could also argue, listen, the judges use broad terminology. And when they say serious crimes, I think that includes murder. And I would think that like, if the death penalty could be one of the results, right, of someone, if someone's convicted of murder, mm-hmm. that, you know, this does apply to that, right? Because murder is serious. Mm-hmm. And the death penalty is one of the things that could happen. So why wouldn't it apply? But see, this is what they do in law school to you. There's never a right answer. They want yep. you to fight it out. <laughs> For real. And you really got to be thinking on the spot. I mean, you could bring your notes in for some classes, some classes, no. But in the real world, you would need to have your notes. You would need to have cases if you were consulting a client. So I never understood why some law school exams were closed book, because that don't make no damn sense. But anyways, all of that to say, I hope y'all learned something today. We're not really too clear. Well, in case you didn't, the takeaway is we're not really clear on whether this latest Supreme Court ruling... um, you know, focuses on the death penalty. I will say that all the other states, they do say that they need a unanimous verdict, but you always get states like Florida trying to do something different. They always try and. Um, so just stay tuned and keep your eyes peeled for those, you know, keep your eyes peeled for some Supreme Court cases in the future that might address this. But for now, it seems like all the other states are falling in line. So we gonna roll with that. I took a jury class in law school And one of the things we were talking about is whether people should be allowed to decide if someone else can die or not, right? Like, Mm -hmm. as far as, like, if if someone should die by the needle. I'm not talking about, like, you know, helping someone die and all that other stuff and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, bioethics and stuff like that. But that was a whole back and forth debate in class. Like, why should I be able to say that this person deserves death? I'm just a regular person out on the street. What gives me the authority? Right. Right? So I think that's a lot of pressure to have as a juror. And I can understand why sometimes the verdict might not be unanimous because someone might be like, well, this this isn't my place. Mm-hmm. Right? But yeah, it's, I mean, it could go many ways and that could be another law school exam question, but y'all get it. All of that to say, JT is alive and well He has a daughter, um, and he says that she reminds him so much of Jasmine, that she has, like, a Uh lot of her, like, quirks and mannerisms and things like that. Jarrett is also alive. He did make it. Good. And, yes, but he was not featured on the show at all. And I think, honestly, it's probably because he's probably trying to distance himself from it and, you know, probably doesn't – he probably just doesn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um. And Jared's situation was interesting because he did love his stepdad. He did. And when they had to testify during the trial, it was a lot for him. He had a whole breakdown. They had to take him outside the courtroom. They gave him candy. He calmed down. And he was able to finish testifying. But being, you know, sitting in the courtroom and looking at somebody who you really did love and care about and just, like, having to testify against them that he killed your sister, he killed your mother, and he stuck a knife in you with the exact intent also. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot for someone to process. Like, you know, what is love? Is this love? Because I love this person. So, you know, yeah. just wishing JT and Jarrett healing on this journey because it's a never-ending journey. And, and JT says that, you know, the moments where all of this really hits him is when 
he is parenting and he he has a question about parenting and he's thinking to himself well i wish i could ask my mom Mm. i know my mom would have the answer right so it's been super tough for the family i don't know what happened as far as like where they were placed after she was murdered um they did not give those details but i would assume that they probably went to family but that's this week's case the levita case levita armstead her daughter jasmine Jarrett, her son and her son jt thanks for tuning in to another week of it's the mystery for me next week i think is norma's birthday norma's birthday is on sunday actually april Mm -hmm. 3rd I don't know. Don't hold your breath, y'all. Like, we might not have a new episode we, next week. We gotta play it by ear. Gotta play it know? by ear. Because it's like, Norma, it's her birthday. We might have to just... And I don't know what kind of weekend Norma's trying to have. I'm trying to be out all weekend. Norma's trying to be out in these streets. You know? Not not like not like Gary did. You know? Fathering all these children. She's not doing that. But not she, like Gary. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she's trying to be out in these streets. <laughs> so, Yeah. And as for Gary, you know, I already tore him a new one during this entire episode. But really, did you really have to do that? You know what I'm saying? You could have gone and done whatever else with someone else. I mean, shit, you were still heading up your old girlfriend. Why didn't you just hang out with her? You know what I'm saying? But you know Mm -hmm. what? You're going to have to think about this for the rest of your life. It's, it's clearly a hatred towards women. I mean, it's not on his rap sheet that they've said on the show or even in appeal docs that he beat up men. Nah, it's a vendetta against women. Mm-hmm. And that insecurity played out in such a disgusting fashion and you should be really just ashamed of yourself. Like, ew. That's all I'm gonna say. They have not executed him yet. He's still on death row. That's a whole other conversation about how that works because no, they don't get executed like right at the drop of the dime. They sit usually for a few years. Mm-hmm. We were just wrapping up and then I noticed that we weren't recording, but thank goodness. The only thing that didn't really record was this ending right here. So all I was saying was, you know, keep your head on a swivel and Pay attention to the red flags. I think we're too, um, I think we're too just trusting sometimes. And you need Mm -hmm. to be aware of the red flags. Like, this is not six flags, sis. It's not. This is real life. And maybe we'll see y'all next Tuesday, you know, as far as because it's Norma's birthday. And if not, we'll see you the next Tuesday after that. Yeah, because we got to play that by ear. Be safe out there. See y'all soon. Bye. (laughs) 